All right. So today we're talking to uh, Alex and Jared. Uh, and um, how about we start with a sh short intros? Alex, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I've been working on Clojure, uh, the Clojure team, for about eight years now uh, at originally Relevance, then Cognitech, and now Nubank. Um, so that's that's the that's the big thing as a work thing. And then uh, right. on the side, I've run a number of conferences, like strangely, Clojure West. Lambda Lambda Jam, <laughs> sorry, Lambda Lounge was a meetup that I ran as well. Mm -hmm. Cool. And Jared? Yeah, my name's uh, Jared Benford. I'm the product manager on the Datomic team. Um, I've been on the team for six years, previously Cognitech, now Newbank. I <laughs> uh, didn't make it to the relevance days, but I, I uh, shortly after Alex, I guess. Um, yeah, and uh, this is what I do. <laughs> right. Uh, so the whole idea of this uh, for this episode was just to take a look at 2022, do some kind of like wrap-up review, uh, what happened, maybe look maybe a bit ahead to 2023. And as we started to gather the questions, uh, there is a couple of them for Datomic. And we felt like, well, maybe we can ask Jared to come in and just answer some of those. So uh, maybe let's start with those. Let's start with Datomic uh, and then see how it goes. Um, so like if you... Jared could summarize like 2022 for Datomic. Um, what would you like point out? Yeah, so I um, I think 2022 uh, was a year of our team growing uh, and learning about how to deal with that growth. So um, I don't know if this is too much uh, inside information, but you know, we we before we had. Uh, six members on our team. And mm -hmm. I think now when we run standup on the daily, there's 17 people on our standup and mm -hmm. rotating members coming in, working on um, various initiatives and features that are, um, you know, aimed at Datomic or Datomic's use within Nubank. And that's a, th that's a lot. That's a big change. Uh, so we've had like, I think four or five releases uh, in Datomic land uh, and that's not counting cloud. I think cloud has had a couple of releases in there mm -hmm. and we've delivered some, uh, you know, fixes, uh, in that time and a major feature that I am pretty proud of mm -hmm. in IO stats. And, uh, but I think that we have a lot more, uh, in the works and that's mm -hmm. what I'm so excited about 2023 because this 2022 was about building and learning about how to work with a larger team and about how to, um, you know, coordinate together on all uh, of the features and endeavors that we want to do and, and what, what we want to make uh, mm -hmm. for Datomic. And I think I'm hoping that 2023 is the the, the year that we deliver. But uh, like I said, our, our big feature delivery was IOStats. Mm -hmm. And if that? you haven't heard of IOStats, yeah. it's um, uh, effectively exposes... Uh, the IO information for transactions and queries so that, you know, a Datomic developer can reason about the cache layer, which indexes are being hit. Uh, and that was definitely something that was missing from Datomic. And I think um, IO stats and some of the other features that we're working on, uh, they came from a place of we're now working within Nubank, thousands of closure services all on uh, the Datomic stack, many very experienced Datomic developers and learning what their pain points were. You know, mm -hmm. we've heard from our community, you know, various pain points, but it was interesting to see so many experienced developers 
wanting to have a better way to reason about did I hit memcached, for instance? Uh, I've tuned the object cache to a certain size where I think the entire um, working set should be in memory. Why am I suddenly getting a performance problem? Well, you're spilling over, and you didn't know that because you didn't have that kind of insight um, into your transaction or your query. And that's what IOStats is aimed at, and I, I think it's a big step for the maturity of the product and uh, something that I think all of our users of Datomic will really benefit from is having that kind of insight. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a feature that I'm really proud of. Cool. So, And uh, is there anything you could highlight for 2023 uh, that you're going on? Yeah, after? so um, there are some things that, you know, we we as a team don't typically uh, talk about a roadmap, and there's, there's good reasons for that. I think everyone in software knows that once you actually get to the problem you think you're going to solve, you find out that there's three other problems that you might want right. to solve or that there's a different approach that you might want to do. And so characterizing a, a feature with like a pithy name is not exactly uh, always good for your users because then they will want and rely on the thing that they think they're getting, and then they might get something different right. that is actually maybe better. Um, but the one, the one thing that I, I think is well along in the pipeline and I can uh, talk about is a, a similar thing to IOStats is we have a feature coming uh, called Query Stats. And, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't call this necessarily a query planner, but I would call this um, a feature that gives you the tools to plan your query. <laughs> so Datomic queries are... Uh, you know, relatively straightforward. I'm not going to use words like simple or, or easy. Uh, I, I know better than that. Uh, but it, it is relatively straightforward in the sense that the way to optimize a atomic query is to uh, put the most selective clause first, right? Right. But what happens when you're, you have a matured atomic system and it grows over time is, you know, it's been a year, you wrote this query and it had, I don't know, client ID is the first uh, uh clause. Well, uh, you were wildly successful. Now you have a billion clients. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and your clause may no longer be the most selective clause and exposing the stats, uh, for query stats is aimed at giving developers the power to understand, Oh, Hey, my date, the shape of my data has changed. I now need to change my clause structure in order for it to be, uh, you know, an optimal, uh, an optimal query in Datomic and just to be able to reason about how that query should perform. And I think it's going to be a huge win for Datomic users. Um, I also think in 2023, we have a, a mandate. Uh, I, I'm, it's crazy to use that word, but it, we have a mandate to make Datomic easier uh, and uh, more approachable and it's easier to get started. Mm -hmm. And we're, my team in particular is going to be directly working on that. Um, and I'm really excited to to do that because uh, I think in 2022, one of the other things I I didn't mention, um, you know, we released a, a thing called Max Datums, which was it's like the gamification of Learn Data Log today. I don't know if mm -hmm. anyone is familiar with this on the the right. stream. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Check it out, maxdatum.com. Mm -hmm. um, I think efforts like that are really important. Uh, I think your courses that you've made are really important, uh, and I think being able to give. Uh, people more ways to get into Datomic is really important. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm hoping we do in 2023, in addition to many really cool features that I, uh, you know, I hope we have another, a chance to have another podcast maybe in the middle of 2023 and start sure. talking about all those things yeah, uh, that I hope we deliver. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, when it comes to any kind of like communication channels for Datomic, uh, like what would you highlight as established routes? 
Yeah. So the most established route uh, is the route that the community made. And I think that for a lot of software communities, that's the way it works. And that's the Clojurian Slack. Uh, the mm -hmm. Clojurian Slack has a Datomic channel in it. Mm -hmm. Now, we have tried to augment that uh, route. Uh, by providing forums.datomic.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a support portal as well where you can reach us at support.datomic.com. And we have a, a similar to Clojure, uh, not as well-trafficked as Clojure's, we have ask.datomic.com. Uh, mm -hmm. And all three of those places are great places to you know, talk to members of the community. But I, I, I've got to say, it's it's still the Clojurian Slack. If you're not in that Slack and you're a Datomic user, um, you should be in there because we have a great community that uh, I mean, without them, I would have been dead in the water years ago for answering uh, various problems that come up into Tomic. So uh, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Cool. So. Uh, will there be anything else uh, for the Datomic uh, that you'd like to highlight? Uh, I I don't think that there's uh, anything in particular that I want to expressly call out, uh, other than that we are going to try. Uh, very hard to deliver some really critical features that I think our user base has wanted for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd love to tell you more about that, but maybe you can have me back on in uh, 2023 and yeah. I can actually tell you about it. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'm happy to so, talk about it. Yeah. Um, so Alex, uh, as we were talking about like Atomic and, and like the new bank, how do you see um, the... Um, the marriage, if you will, of Cognitec and Newback going so far. It's been uh, now more than two years since the acquisition. Um, this was one of the questions uh, that I got over uh, over Slack. Uh, actually, it was on Twitter. Uh, it was from Orestes Marcou asking um, how uh, the uh, the acquisition influenced the core development. Does proximity to a large corpus of closure code and closure uh, closureist influence uh, priorities or uncovered any blind spots? Um, I, I think like to a large degree, the initial desire, uh, during the merger was for it to not affect closure development. <laughs> and I think that was successful. Um, we just kept trucking along, doing what we'd been doing and released software and, uh, did a lot of good stuff. So, um, I, I, I think that was mission accomplished and, um, that continues mostly to this day. Like we don't really take much direction from, uh, from the company as far as closure goes, it is really useful to be able to see um, what a thousand plus closure developers are doing and to dip into that code base. And, and I, of course, um, you know, monitor various channels inside Slack and inside NewBank and mm -hmm. answer questions. And, um, and so that sometimes um, highlights things and, and focus runs a regular like office hours kind of a program inside new bank. And mm -hmm. so we, we do, you know, answer questions and try to guide things and, and work with occasionally work with the, um, the team that Jared mentioned that does, um, or maybe he didn't mention it. I don't know if he mentioned it or not, but <laughs> the team that, uh, uh, works with teaching closure developers inside new bank. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, if I could uh, dive into this, so is is Cognitech now like being part of Newbank? Is this like internal consulting team for like tra to, you know trying to tackle the most I, I would say like difficult problems on Newbank stack, if you will? Not really. Things have evolved over time. Um, so really, there isn't Cognitech is now just officially the U.S. legal entity for Newbank, but doesn't really have any um, division in terms of um, function inside new bank. So 
people that who there's not really any important difference anymore. <laughs> and uh, uh, so those developers who were originally at Cognitive Stack, to which now there's so many additional developers from the U.S. as well, um, they they're sort of distributed throughout the the company and they're on different teams and. Uh, there are there is a team now called the Applied Research Team that um, sort of has some more has more of those pe- people with those origins than than others. But that's uh, there's uh, there's no there's no one simple story. <laughs> it's all been kind of dissolved. <laughs> right. Um, one more question from Slack from Lee Reed. Uh, he asks that you know we interact with Alex on Slack. Um, so we know he's a Closure Core developer and also provides help and leadership to Closure community. Uh, but I guess he has also some responsibility as work. So maybe I would extend this. Like, uh, apart from like you know stewardshiping Closure community and it's like, what are the other tasks that you have that maybe I don't know Rich has? And it's like, can you give us like a bit more insights into how all of this works? Is there any like split or anything? Yeah. So I mean, the Closure and the Datomic team both. Um, you know, we try to identify problems that we want to solve. So that is the the core of everything. And we've uh, spent a lot of time this year. I mean, Jared talked about a lot of learning about how we and organizing about how we manage our teams and how we manage our work and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And that's true of both the atomic and closure. Like we have really um, spent a lot of time sort of introspecting about how we work and how we want to work. And, um, writing down some of the things that we were doing, but without that sort of written guidance, you know, like we kind of, uh, dev- a small team that worked closely together, you know, had basically developed a way of working. And when right. we expanded that team, we needed to, to sort of introduce that to other people. So, um, there's been a lot of, uh, work, uh, and Dan Dagiar, who's now the manager of the collision datomic teams has really, um, spent a lot of time, doing that sort of work, um, trying to extract, like pull back and say, this is how you've been doing things and we should formalize that and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'm not, this is not a, a confirmed thing yet, but I think Rich will be talking more about that at the conj in a talk this year. Sounds great. So. Yeah. Um, talking about uh, conch and conferences in closure space, if you will, uh, we just had like reclosure uh, in December. And uh, when when is the closure conch coming? Closure conch will be April twenty seventh to twenty eighth, and mm-hmm. the call for presentation is open now. I hope that uh, people can track that down and submit talks by January. The tickets are available. People are buying early bird tickets, and mm-hmm. sponsorships are open. So. We're right. open for business there. It's taken us a little bit of work to sort of remember how to do all of that. <laughs> and most of the people other than me who worked on Closure Conj are not at the company or not working in that role anymore. So mm-hmm. there's been some of that was, uh, so, so it's been sort of a process to, to sort of build up a new team around mm-hmm. that and remember how to do all those things. As, a, right. as an organization, but right. I think we're, we've done a lot of good work there. I think we're, we'll be set for, for future events. Right. So the early bird tickets are open and I also noticed you have uh, tickets for online streaming. 
Yeah, we're going to be doing that this year. It was um, something we kind of went back and forth on and decided to kind of dive into it. Um, I think it's really important for the closure community to be able to, to uh, sort of talk to each other. And it's uh, I can't wait to see people in person and have an in-person closure conference again. Um, we haven't had many of those in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really important. But also there's a lot of people who, I, I mean, I think, I think the conference world has changed. I've seen this in other places and mm-hmm. people, some people are just not willing to travel as much. Right. Um, companies are not as willing to pay for people to travel as much. So there's just a lot of things there. Plus Newbank now has like, you know, almost, you know, well over a thousand closure developers. Um, they're not all going to come to the conch, but by making it streaming, it, it is easily worthwhile for us to make that available uh, right. to our developers inside the company. So, mm-hmm. sounds good. And uh, talking about conferences, there is also a question about another conference that you're involved with, the Strange Loop. Uh, this is also from Lee Reed. Uh, he's asking about like what inspired Strange Loop, uh, and he heard it's coming to an end. So, could you expand a bit more on this? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> Strange Loop started kind of came out. I mentioned earlier Lambda Lounge. It was a local user uh, user group that sort of explored a lot of different languages and da- and databases and things like that. There was, you know, and I was in a bunch of little tiny little user groups. And so I kind of created a much larger and much wider um, scope user group and had hundreds of people showing up every month to this meetup. So it, clearly there was a market. Um, and so uh, that kind of drove the creation of Strange Loop, which then kind of exploded way beyond anything I ever anticipated. <laughs> but uh, I've been doing it for a long time now. I've been doing it since 2009, and it has kind of taken over my life. And in many ways, that's been a huge positive. It's been mm-hmm. incredibly important for me from uh, you know just building networks of people that I know and that you know, gotten multiple jobs out of it and all, you know, it's just been, it's been very, um, rewarding for me to run, but also simultaneously, you know, it kind of took over my life and mm-hmm. is something that I work on every day mm-hmm. <laughs> really and have worked on every day for like almost 15 years now. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, and in, in 2020, I think a lot of people had a chance to, you know, step back a little bit and we didn't run strange loop that year. And I was like, this is pretty nice. (laughs) It's pretty nice to get a little bit of a break. (laughs) And I still had a bunch of contracts signed for, you know, a few years past that. So I've been, you know, doing all those, but, um, kind of had the opportunity to say, you know, I don't, I, I, I think I could do this without, you know, affecting my family's, uh, income too much. And, uh, uh, my kids are all getting older and, and, uh, I'm developing new hobbies. And (laughs) so I think, I think it's okay for things to end. So, Mm -hmm. and when that happens, just like, you know, the tree falling in the forest, there new things will rise. And I already know of a number of different people who are in groups who are planning new events to take you know, to sort of step in and fill those things and they will not be the same. And that's awesome because it will be somebody else's idea of, um, Mm. how to make a conference and how to make, um, how to, what's interesting content, you know, and what's interesting, how how to 
do that. And so I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what happens sort of in the wake of that and uh, go attend those conferences and not run them. <laughs> right. So this is the last year of Strange Loop, and I guess the tickets are also uh, on sale now? They are, and they are selling uh, fairly well. So if you want to go to Strange Loop, I would uh, not, not delay. So here you go. Um, a strange Loop, uh, the last year of Strange Loop, I think it will be very exciting. I'm, I'm sure there will be a lot of great talks as always. So I definitely look forward to it. I have just locked in a really awesome final keynote. So I am not announcing that yet. But I see. Uh, yes, we have lots of great things coming. Um, and uh, maybe talking about uh, going back to closure uh, and talking about uh, so maybe highlights uh, from 2022. Um, what would you, is there anything that like sparked your eye this year that you feel like, oh, this is great that it has been announced or anything like this? Uh, it, there's been so much stuff. So like I right. do the closure DREF every week and, and do this roundup of libraries and and talks and everything. And it's, it's just incredible to me every single week that there's just like, you know, like 20, 30 libraries that have either been updated or new libraries. And there's, you know, new podcasts and, and, uh, people are doing tons of videos. I totally, uh, it's been fantastic for groups like London Closurians and, uh, the LA meetup and the Asia, the Asia meetup and like all these groups that are putting out videos, Right. Uh, both weekly or either weekly or monthly or whatever. And then mm -hmm. lots of individual um, develop, you know, people who are making really high quality uh, videos and interesting things, um, mm -hmm. putting new stuff out every week. It's fantastic. Um, and so uh, that's been really fun. Like it's more than I could possibly watch now, which is, <laughs> you know, I used to watch all that kind of stuff. And now these days I can't possibly, uh, do all that. But, um, mm. it, so that's, it's, there's just a ton of stuff going on and it's hard for me to pick out one or two. I mean, there are certain people obviously who are just, uh, uh, churning out new, interesting work mm. all the time. Uh, obviously, mm. uh, Michelle Borkent is, is a one man band, um, right. doing, <laughs> doing more than seems, seems possible. Um, and I think it's really exciting that he's able to do that full time and, and be mm -hmm. self-supporting that way. That's something that when we started the sponsorship program at Cognitech, we hoped that that would be a thing that became possible for people. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I think uh, um, there are lots of other people like, I mean, Tony Kaye is doing all the Fulcro stuff or the... Mm -hmm. The Cyclosh people, Dan Oslitsky, and I really like the and Kira McLean's cookbook project, and the all and Karsten Baring, all those guys who are in, in men and women who are working on right. um, all the uh, data science stuff. Um, we've got so many tools now, things like Data Rabbit and the Clerk, mm -hmm. and um, you know the more browser things like Portal and reveal and things like that. And the tools are all kind of competing too, to be better. And so we've got, you know, all the work happening with Calva and, and cider and cursive and all those things. And it's just fantastic to see all that stuff happening all the time. Right. Yeah. I think one of the videos that really, uh, sparked the joy for me, uh, this year was the, uh, 15 years of closure. It was great to mm -hmm. see all the team together. You know, we haven't seen, as you mentioned, like the conscience happen. 
And it was just great to have you all guys just chat and just like talk about this stuff. Um, it's also very nice always to like reflect uh, on the past years and just take a look. Um, so that was definitely a highlight for me this year. Um, and another thing was the uh, closure dart uh, being open source. Um, I yep. think the guys, uh, the guys, uh, uh, Christoph and Baptiste, um, uh, they're really going up uh, against like go, they picked the right battle, if you will. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, do you think this? Um, uh, do you have any thoughts about other platforms like sort of like adopting sort of uh, well creating closure targets? Like you know, we have Abashka for shell scripting. You have Closure Dart. There's of course CLR, uh, with David mm -hmm. Miller was uh, uh, working on. Um, do you have any thoughts on those? It's great. I mean, you know, I want closure everywhere. So <laughs> um, the the more places you can use closure, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So I think I think those are all great, and um, I wish that we had the you know the ability to you know support all of all of that and and. Uh, you know, do more with all that, but I think it's fantastic that they can do all that, uh, push push that stuff forward. And I think it's interesting to see things like Jank too. That's uh, mm -hmm. you know, right. it's a sort of closure inspired by closure, and, and maybe takes some some departures and is trying something new and different there mm -hmm. um, with a different idea in mind. And that's um, uh, yeah, uh, we. Fully support all of those things, and and I think the I think the CLJ Python stuff is actually every bit as or possibly more important than some of those, just by giving entry into the data science world, which I think is something that Rich feels really strongly is something that, um, if anything, that that's where we should be trying to make a play to co-opt an ecosystem. <laughs> it's in the data science world. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, work that Daniel Sluski is doing around this stuff, and I think I, I mentioned this too many, many, many times to Daniel. Like, I really appreciate the work uh, that he's putting up there. So, Daniel, uh, keep up. Uh, it's very important. Uh, and looking back at uh, the community and the evolution sort of of software, um, do you see any patterns over the years in the closure community? How how would you like describe this? Patterns of what? How the community changed over the years? Um, is there any any kind of typical trend that you see? Like very often we talk about closure developers being senior developers, get sort of like getting tired of um, of what they have been doing for so many years, and that they find closure and they like feel more, uh, I would say, at home. Um, do you see any? Do you see this any in changing in any way? It's a good question. I'm kind of interested to to do the next say a closure survey and see how things have been changing. Cause I, I, I do feel like it's been changing a bit, but I'm not sure that I understand how exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, so like we've been through waves of things like originally it, well throughout really people coming from Java. I mean, closure was designed as a thing that you could use instead of Java. <laughs> so, um, that's always been a really strong or probably the strongest, uh, inflow component. And we've seen, you know, always seen people that came from other lists, bracket scheme kind of worlds. But that's a pretty, it's a pretty minor uh, component of the audience. Usually, um, generally, the next biggest one is people coming from other dynamic languages, uh, like JavaScript, Python, and Ruby. Mm -hmm. And 
those have kind of ebbed and flowed based on what's happening in those other language communities. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Python got turbulent, we saw more Python people. And when Ruby and Rails kind of came under fire, you know, we saw more people coming from Ruby. And mm. <clears throat> when uh, JavaScript got got popular, uh, we, we saw more people coming from JavaScript. And so um, those are all, uh, I don't know where things are at right now as far as which one of those things is strongest? It's hard sometimes to tell mm-hmm. in the middle. But I do continue to see people um, come into the community and and uh, be surprised that it's <laughs> as vibrant as it is, and it you know what, and that there's so many things you can do with it. Um, so, right. Um, not sure. Another question. Another question that we got over Twitter uh, was from uh, Ask, Ask, uh, I guess. Uh, There's already a lot of A's in front of his handle. So uh, he's asking, are we ever going to see improved error messages and less Java internals leaking out uh, for the runtime exceptions? Clojure is designed as a hosted language. It doesn't try to avoid showing you those things. So mm-hmm. are we going to try to see less internals leaking out? No, that's not a goal of Clojure. It's never been a goal of Clojure. And so... No, I don't think that's likely to change. Um, right. yeah, seeing those internals only... is incredibly important when you're trying to understand what's actually happening. So, I would right. I would be sunk by that. <laughs> there are lots of people that have built other kinds of stack trace, you know, massagers and clean upper right. cleaner uppers and things. And I don't use any of them, and I find them frustrating, honestly, mm. most of the time. Uh, the ones mm. that can give you better context, I think, are important. Uh, and we've tried to do some stuff inside Closure for that. Um, mm-hmm. As far as error messages go, it's it's complicated. <laughs> so there are there's both there's both simple things um, that are just places where we could give an error message a better error message than we could mm-hmm. that, than we do now. And I think that we do work on some of those on every release. And mm-hmm. I would love to spend some time addressing a few of those. Uh, and I'm sure that we will mm-hmm. eventually. Um, but um, there are sort of bigger categoric problems sometimes. One of the big problems with Clojure is that because you're dealing with macros in so many places, both in Clojure Core itself and possibly in libraries and possibly in your code, it's really common for there to be a compile error or a syntax error somewhere in code that you didn't actually write. It's code that's mm-hmm. been generated. Sometimes code that's been generated by code, other code that's been right. generated by other code, you know? <laughs> right. So it's, it's very difficult in that case to sort of track back to the original source that was actually the problem. And and mm-hmm. it could be in multiple layers, you know, it could be that the macro had a bug or it could be that the user that wrote the code against the macro had the buck, you know? Mm. Um, so there are some just actually hard problems there. One of the things that frustrates me is people say, oh, error messages are bad. Mm. And I, I understand the intent of what you mean by that um, mm. because I've been there sitting, looking at a piece of code and some error and like, I don't know what the heck that means. Like, why? Like, why am I seeing that? Um, and, but the there's it's really that's this user symptom but it's not really the problem so there are lots of there are problems um but there's 
multiple problems and they're uh and in some cases those problems are fairly complex and so it's hard to to me it doesn't help me make anything better when people say error messages are bad Mm. you know be i you really need to look at the specifics and say what is missing from the error message like you you want to know where the problem happened Mm. you want to know what was expected and you want to know how to fix it so there are different kinds of problems that come from a specific error message and it's just it's very challenging to think about it at a bigger level um and so it's it's frustrating to some degree because at the level where we're trying to work with really identifying important problems and working on those, those are just th- that work is light years away from error messages are bad. <laughs> so, um, and really like what we need is like, um, you really need like a big set of, um, things that seem uh, that aren't helping you mm-hmm. and then to do work that pulls categoric problems out of that big set of, you know, of symptoms mm-hmm. and then to work on those. And we did a lot of that kind of work in closure 110. So mm-hmm. like one of the problems that we often had was that um, uh, there are so many things it's hard for me to pull back to all that stuff. But, um, mm. like, like, uh, when you have problems in macros, it was easy to get, um, an error that related to the generated code. And mm-hmm. so we did a number of things to give you better information about the user code that was causing the problem instead of the generated macro code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that made a bunch of, a bunch of really bad error messages better. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know that most people appreciated that nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I have lots of examples of places where that really improved things. We did some mm-hmm. similar kinds of work in the reader to allow reader errors to surface better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then sort of the other aspect is of this is that the work that we did is not often not directly consumed by the user of closure, they are using a tool and the tools put their own layer of things in front of it. And so like I've done, spent a lot of time working on closure error messages. And so when I'm using a tool, like I know what I'm expecting to be seeing if Mm -hmm. I'm like sitting at the closure REPL. But when you're sitting at the REPL in Calva or cursive or CIDR, like your experience is being mediated to some degree by um, by the tooling and by inrepl and by lots of other things in the stack, mm-hmm. and it's pretty free, pretty common that I am experiencing things in the REPL in those environments that's different than what we designed mm-hmm. <laughs> in Closure Core, <laughs> and so that's frustrating sometimes. And like just as a simple example, there are a lot of these tools will actually automatically print a stack trace 
And the closure REPL never automatically prints stack traces, never has automatically printed stack traces. Mm -hmm. It prints you a, a, like a, usually a two line error message. Uh, and you can ask for the stack trace if you want additional information. Mm -hmm. Um, we intentionally don't show you that because usually most of that information is not useful to you. Um, but these, a lot of times these tools will show you additional information that isn't useful. And people then say, oh, that's a bad error message. Like, you're right. And that's not actually what we designed from inside the language. But mm. you're using tools in between that are creating new new issues. So, mm -hmm. so uh, what's your setup? Like, what are you using for Ripple? And so these days, so I have been, I've used lots of different closure tools over the years. So when mm -hmm. I first started, I actually used TextMate mm -hmm. with no closure editor at all for the first mm -hmm. probably six months that I wrote closure and manually match parentheses like a caveman. Um, and, uh, but it, you know, I wanted to really understand what I was doing and I didn't mm -hmm. want to spend any time learning a tool and the tools back then were, you know, far more right. primitive 10 years ago than they are now. Um, and I used uh, NetBeans enclosure for a long time, which I thought was a fantastic environment. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I use Eclipse counterclockwise a lot because I had done a lot of Java work in Eclipse. And so that was very comfortable, comfortable to me. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I worked with people that uh, were Emacs obsessed. And so I used Emacs Insider for many years as as my main environment. Um, uh, eventually I switched to cursive, used cursive for a long time, still use cursive, uh, in particular when working on closure core, uh, because it's integration with Java stuff is just, you know, phenomenal. It's mm. the, it is the best <laughs> for that. Right. And so the places where I'm trying to either do look at a lot of Java hierarchies, um, or debug, between a mixture of Java and Closure Code, I still think Cursive is just easily the best for that kind of work. Mm -hmm. um, so I still use it for that. Uh, these days, I've mostly been using Calva, which um, I, there are many things I like about it. I find it uh, a little bit frustrating in certain aspects where I like what Cursive does better, mm -hmm. but it's kind of a toss-up. It's There's right. just you know, pros and cons of both, both of them, I find easy to do work in. So I can just pull up a project and start working. And, um, I don't, I don't have any trouble working in either of those. So I use mm -hmm. both tools. So, uh, another question for, um, from Slack, um, Ray McDermott asks, um, uh, are, are, am I going to dare to ask about spec two? <laughs> uh, so what's yeah, you can ask about spec, spec two. So I mean, we haven't, haven't worked on it this year, really, but uh, we have talked about it some. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful that we'll be able to, um, I would like it to at least figure out what we're going to do with it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that would I think that would be useful. And Rich and I have been talking about that. Um, it really stalled out mostly on trying to figure out how to integrate um, function specs into Defin and bring those worlds closer together. And in particular, the problem that Rich is really concerned about is how do we talk about um, the expectations for, how do we describe uh, at a spec level what a, what uh, contracts a function is willing to make about its outputs in terms of its inputs? Mm 
And so like something like, um, something like, uh, the sort function is going to take a collection and it's going to give you a collection. And how do we say it's a collection of the same elements that you gave that you passed in? Mm-hmm. Like that's a relatively sophisticated concept. It's easy for us to say in words. There's not a lot of good language for saying that in, you know, in a specification, but that's a really important thing to say. And you, you could say the same thing about like reverse or, um, uh, but you wouldn't say it about something like map. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think we spent, he spent a lot of time looking at different, uh, options for that. Uh, we both have worked on various parts of that off and on. Um, and I think figuring that out is probably the biggest, um, reason why, uh, we haven't continued work on it. Uh, it may be that the right thing to do is to get the work that we have done to a point where it can be released and usable. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we shouldn't wait for that thing to be figured out before we <laughs> release spec two. So that, that there may be some interim point there um, that we could do. Um, and interestingly, like the U.S. about Newbank earlier, and Newbank mm-hmm. is. Um, an interesting driver there. They historically have been big users of schema, plumatic mm-hmm. schema. Yeah. So they have a huge investment in that. That's not going away, <laughs> but there are different teams that are building new services all the time. And, and so some of those use spec and some of them have been um, digging deeply into spec two um, and trying to assess, you know, what, what they need there and what part, you know, what things are, not sufficient and what we've done so far. And so that that's been kind of interesting to get some feedback from them that just recently I've been doing some of that. Right. Um, so yeah, you, you also mentioned uh, like, of course we talk about new bank all the time. Uh, there's another question from Twitter. Uh, Gar, uh, Garaldo dev asks, does new bank utilize this closure script? Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think there's uh, sort of like side questions to this, but I think maybe we can start with that. Uh, I think they did at one point. I don't mm-hmm. really know. I'm not, mm-hmm. that's not just on my area, but mm-hmm. I mean, with Nubank, the key thing is really the app. It's really the, uh, the app people use. And that is, uh, really going towards all flutter these days. So, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the reasons we're funding the, the, uh, closure dart work. Um, I, we're not, as far as I know, nobody's using that or, planning to use it, but it's one of those things that like, uh, it's, it's well worth making the bet, you know, that it would be helpful to us at some point in the future. So, um, I think that's a, that's definitely right. An interesting area. Um, there's one more question here, which is, do you think there is any kind of, well, killer app in terms of like closure slash closure script? Is there anything that, um, you feel like in community, maybe some product that you really enjoy being uh, written in both of those? I actually have several answers to that. I think some of the new data products that people are, you know, working on, mm-hmm. I think are amazing and are a true testament to the data focus of closure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think some of those could easily be um, turned into sort of a killer app kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you had tools to let you, you know, work with, 
data in a data science way um, that were really impactful to a user. And like, I think Data Rabbit is interest is really interesting from this perspective um, because it really lets you sort of, um, you know, wire things together somewhat arbitrarily and. Mm-hmm. It, it really highlights that aspect of closure that um, we're just flowing Eden around. Um, mm. And, and Clark as well is, is another one doing, I think really interesting things in that area. Um, but I could also say, you know, all the thought research things like Rome, mm-hmm. there's several of those out there that I think are totally enabled by using a closure model and metadata and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. or things like Datomic and, and cloud databases, um, I, I think Clojure has the potential to be a language where you could more easily put uh, code into the cloud than a lot of other languages. And we actually have mm-hmm. some stuff coming out in that area. It's coming out of the Datomic team, but that's going to mm-hmm. be a public thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you know, um, over the discussion, we mentioned a couple of times, you mentioned Newbank, you mentioned the, uh, the work that Dan is trying to do, uh, looking at sort of different patterns. And how would you, is there any way that you could describe how, in general, you approach problems um, in uh, Cognitech slash Newbank? Um, it's such a big topic. And it's one that yeah. I know that Rich is going to have some things to say about this year. And, um, so I'm a little reluctant to to give a a short bad answer. <laughs> so uh, I'll wait for Rich, and he can do a longer good answer to right. that. Okay. So let's let's wait, wait for the conch. Uh, and talking about like uh, maybe communication channels, and um, I think this was something that I also found uh, surprising uh, because I don't feel like the community is uh, that huge, big yet. We have quite a bit of communication channels. Uh, you know, we have Slack, and there is a Zulip, there is Ask Closure. Of course, anybody can ask questions on Stack Overflow. Uh, there's also Closureverse. Uh, we also, I also learned today that there's AskDatomic.com. Um, like, how do you? Like, you're still missing some of them. Oh, yeah, just, <laughs> there's a bunch of me. Discords. There's Telegram channels. There's all sorts of stuff out there. Um, how do you see all of this? Like, how do you, as a person who's like sort of keeping a pulse on the community, trying to like see where everything is. And uh, would you prefer that we have one sort of main communication channel? It doesn't matter what I prefer. People like different things. And so they will go different places where they feel comfortable. So mm-hmm. that, that it, I, so I don't expect there to be one place. And I think it's silly to try to get people to move from one place to another. I, I think it's not, it's not silly. It's I, lots of people have desires to, you know, centralize things or whatever. I think it's hopeless based on human nature and the, how technology changes and what we're familiar with and comfortable with. So, um, so I, I just surf with whatever's, you know, wherever people are, I'm talking about closure. I'm happy to go look at that and I will interact more at places where I feel more comfortable. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, obviously I'm on Slack. I, I, pop in a closure verse periodically. I don't, don't use it every day. Zulip, I've mm-hmm. kind of gotten out of the habit of looking at, but it's a little hard for me to, um, that I find that one to be because it imports Slack and everything in so many ways. It's, uh, so it can be a little overwhelming and it's most, it's, you know, 99% redundant. So, um, 
I don't get a ton of extra stuff out of that, but that's where a lot of the data science stuff happens. So right. uh, I do pop in there occasionally. I follow Reddit closely. Um, and, uh, and, and I'll say just, while I have the opportunity, I, I'm really appreciative that there are, um, moderators working in all these places that are doing, um, what I know is both hard and thankless work. So thank you to those people um, who make all of these closure communities a really nice place to be. And uh, they are uh, to a vast degree uh, places where people are nice and kind uh, right. compared to a lot of places on the internet. And uh, so I really appreciate that. Um, and I think that's uh, over and over again, I hear people uh, say that about the closure community and they come into the community and they're, you know, they are welcomed warmly. They are helped if they have questions and they're made, you know, not to feel dumb about having those questions. Right. Um, and so I try to do my part of that, but there's lots and lots of other people that do the same kind of work and that do the same kind of moderation in, in all yeah. these forums. And, you know, I'm not running almost any of these forums, really any of them other than ask closures. The only one that I, uh, technically administer. So, uh, so that's great. Um, cool. Uh, and looking at on 2023, what do you see coming in closure? I don't know any kind of, uh, information about any kind of releases or anything like this. Well, one, I definitely, we're working on 112. And so I expect that somewhere in the calendar year, 2023, we will release closure mm -hmm. 112. I don't feel like we're close right now on that. Um, we kind of, got off on a bit of a tangent this summer, um, working on a set of things that were really related to interactive closure development. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm trying to think how I can talk about this in a way that makes sense. I'm trying to, I'm trying to roll back to where we were when we got off on this work, um, none of which has been released, uh, but mm -hmm. I expect all of that stuff will be released as well. And we were really looking at um, Rebel, and um, we do continue to, to pick away at Rebel and try to use it as a as a place to do uh, to explore things that we don't feel like are getting explored well enough in the community, mm -hmm. and so we were looking at some of the issues with um, with the people. The one of the challenges that people have with Rebel is that it runs in process, and so mm -hmm. um, that makes it complicated and hard to integrate into your workflow in lots of tools. And so um, in thinking about that, we started thinking about ways that uh, the problems with out-of-process um, out REPL things. And we've done lots of work on this in the past, things like uh, P-REPL. Um, and so we did a little more work on P-REPL. And um, then we started looking at some of the problems with sending... Um, data structures over uh, streams and some, mm -hmm. you run into a bunch of different kinds of problems with that. You run into problems of infinite data structures and um, large data structures at the top. So vectors or maps that have a lot of elements in them or deep data structures. So maps that are very deeply nested. There's lots of different, different ways that data can be big. And so mm -hmm. um, I did some work this summer on, um, on that problem, I don't want to talk too much about the solution yet because we're not quite ready to release all that, but, um, we've built some stuff, um, in that area 
and it kind of plays well with PREPL and Datafy and some of those kinds of things. And we're mm-hmm. putting that underneath Rebel um, that allows us to take uh, Rebel out of proc. And that opens up some interesting new things that we can do. And mm-hmm. so I expect that in 2023, we will release um, some new tools that work over the top of PREPL. And I think those will be useful to a lot of people. Um, so I, I think things like, uh, reveal and portal, for example, things that are, you know, do a lot of, uh, datafy kinds of work. Mm. I think there are places where, uh, people have some new utilities there. Um, rebel, I think will be a lot easier to use. I've been using it a lot more because I can use it much more easily now <laughs> with, uh, Calva and, and cursive and other environments, Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then that has opened up all sorts of new ideas as well that some of which we're exploring. So, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff there. I think that it's a pretty rich, uh, rich mind to, <laughs> to be working in. And mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll continue to, to work in that area for a long time. We've got ideas that are just way beyond our capacity to actually, uh, you know, complete <laughs> at any time in the future. Um, and then, um, so that's all kind of in the, the, the rubble space. Um, and then, uh, as far as closure one twelve, uh, another at thing that's kind of floated in and out of different, different realms is ad libs, which is a thing that's been in a branch of tool steps for many years now. Um, but it's basically tools to allow you to, you know, dynamically add libraries to your runtime environment. And uh, I am working uh, really hard right now on that problem and hope to deliver something in the very near future. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, <laughs> you know, a weird experiment on a branch, but an actual real feature that's integrated with um, mm-hmm. that integrates well with closure and other environments. Um so that's that's definitely something that's coming. And then we've done some work on Java interop stuff, and I'm not sure where all that's going to go. It's kind of mm-hmm. we focused it a lot of work on this last year, and it's been kind of sitting so so we could think about it <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit. But the ways to turn things like static um, static Java methods into functions and things like that, uh, it's kind of an interesting area. Interesting. Um, so I think we'll do some more. We'll, we've still got some more interop stuff that's on the queue and and uh, lots of just bug fix and that kind of stuff. But uh, right. that's kind of a ongoing thing. Right. right. Sounds very exciting. And it looks like uh, most of the things you're working on uh, are in sort of like allowing people to explore uh, a bit more everything what's going on in their programs. I think what we can definitely count on is the stability. Uh, which we always appreciate uh, from from the of course closure core team. And uh, when I ask a lot of people about if they have any questions, you know, I'll be talking to you. Uh, more often than not, they said just say thank you to the core team for all the work they've been doing, and like we really appreciate all of the stuff that you're putting up. So um, I can just echo that and say thank you for you know all the work you have been doing over the years, and of course the core team. Uh, do you think there will be anything else worth discussing? Those are the things that are on top of my head right now. Um, 
there, yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, we always have uh, more, more things than we, more ideas than we do time to work on them. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the closure CLI uh, has become an increasingly integral part of um, what we're building and what we, how we want people to consume, uh, you know, consume closure and consume that kind of stuff with ad libs. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, uh, it's going to take on a more important role, even with that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that uh, we were building a substrate here underneath all of that with the uh, tools depths and uh, uh, depths Eden and some of those kinds of things that I think will continue to um, uh, allow us to build new and interesting things moving forward. So I can, uh, I, that will continue to be a thing that I work on um, off and on. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I can also mention that uh, if there is anything you would like to, or anyone you would like to hear on the podcast, uh, you can create a GitHub issue now. Uh, so you just go to github.com slash closure stream slash podcast. It's a repo. Just create an issue and I'll take care of the rest. I'll organize the guests and then we'll just uh, hit it off. Hopefully they all agree. So if there's anyone uh, you would like to hear in 2023, uh, by all means, just create an issue and I'll take it from there. And also, there's a couple of people in the community I would just really like to say thank you for, uh, for over having the conversations and just sometimes asking over email some silly questions. It's, of course, you, Alex. I sometimes send you an email and ask you what you think. Uh, there's Stu, Alan Dipert. I had multiple conversations with him. Paula Guerin, Chris Nirenberger, Tony K, LVH, and uh, last but not least, Thomas Heller. Over the years, we had so many great conversations with Thomas. Really appreciate his point of view on all the things he's doing and... Uh, maybe one more highlight. Thomas created this uh, new library for uh, creating web apps, uh, Shadow Grove, uh, which is uh, he he uh, implemented his own virtual DOM uh, instead of using the React engine. And I have been using this for building Closure Stream, and it's been great. So Thomas did it yet again. Fantastic library, and thank you for all the work you've been doing. Um, would there be anything else you would like to um, add, Alex? Not really. I'll say thank you to you. You have done a great, great job this year, uh, making the workshops and and uh, continuing to put out new, new, new content all the time. It's really, and I think you really have. Uh, uh, it, you're sort of working in a really important place where, like, we have a lot of things available for brand new people to closure, um, and I think you're kind of targeted a little bit past that to sort of the, how do I take this and really make these skills uh, useful and um, all of that. And I think that's a, that's a, it's a really hard area to work in. Um, and so I appreciate that you're seem to be kind of focused in that area. So, yeah, thank you, Alex. I really appreciate that. Yes. Uh, I think the workshops, uh, it's just sort of another thing. I think they will open up and allow the people in the community to really like, also teach and because I think there is really a, a lot of yeah great ideas, great teachers. I interacted with them and um, I really look forward to 2023 and opening up all the workshops that they're lined up and there is more in the pipeline. So yeah, I hope uh, I hope they will work for the community and people will appreciate them also. I I forgot something I wanted to mention that yeah. that I expect to be coming out in 2023 and that's the book that I've been working on with Jordan which mm -hmm. is a closure brain teasers book. And we're 
It's part of a series that Pragmatic has um, been doing, and we've been working on the closure version of this book. And it's been really useful, uh, or really interesting to work on so far, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it is an opportunity to, um, it, yeah, it's it's in this sort of format of a here's a piece of code and what do you expect it to do? And, oh, this is what it actually does. And mm-hmm. but uh, we're using that as sort of a jumping off point to really explore um, design questions inside mm-hmm. closure. Like, why is it this way? Oh, well, there's actually a interesting reason why it is this way. Right. And here's the design philosophy behind it. Or um, this is an idiom. And, and uh, one of the main things that we see people ask, say that's an obstacle to learning closure is sort of learning the idioms. It's a very open language in a lot of right. ways. And it has lots of ways it can be used. It's a lot. Of, it's like a you know. It's like walking into the workshop, you know, and you've got right. stuff on all the walls. Like, uh, how do I make something? You know. Right. right so right. I think that uh, I, I think the workshops that you're doing are really good in teaching you how to use the you know go use the saw or whatever. And so we're we're kind of working at the layer of the language of like uh, trying to uh, explain how the language works and how the idioms work and things like that. And so yeah. I'm excited for that to get to a point where we can share it with people in a beta form. And, and, uh, we were supposed to be there already, but we're, you know, as with all software projects, we're late. Um, but I expected that will surface to that, to a level of people being able to see it at some point in 2023. Sounds um, great. So well, maybe we'll do a workshop on that too. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, uh, I think it's been great, Alex. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time talking to Closure. And uh, I think with this, we can just say uh, happy holidays. Have a great 2023. Uh, and thank you so much for tuning in, listening. And um, yeah, thanks, thanks again for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.